We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, this is Mike. I just wanted to start this episode with a fair warning that this is a long episode, but not without good reason. We cover every significant move in Ryan McDonough's career, and it is a must-listen for all Phoenix Suns fans. So feel free to start and stop this one as you please. It doesn't all need to be listened to in one sitting. Enjoy. Today on The Timeline... The Ryan McDonough Conversation. Every significant move, graded and scrutinized. Is he good? Is he bad? Or is it somewhere in between? Find out on today's episode of The Timeline. Sam, are you ready for this? Oh, I was born ready for this one, Mike. This is the one that we've been waiting to do uh, ever since we started. The Ryan McDonough conversation. We're going to go through every significant move in Ryan McDonough's Phoenix Suns career, and we're going to grade them. So let's set the stakes right before we start because we got a lot to get into. Just some rules. We're going to grade every move. It must be a consensus grade. So the idea is that me and Sam are going to agree on the grade for every move that we talk about today. It's going to be a classic A through F system. Sam's going to be our legerman keeping track of every grade. And at the very end, we will have a grade point average that will definitively decide how good of a general manager Ryan McDonough is, at least in theory. Um, We do have a scale. We're trying to give ourselves an idea of what an A is and what an F is. So an A is an obvious one. It is drafting Devin Booker with the 13th pick. And an F is hiring Earl Watson, (laughs) the yoga master. Yep, that (laughs) sounds about right to me. 
Um, more generally, I guess, like an A is just something that moved our franchise forward on the path to becoming a championship contender someday, or at least real. You know, you always have to consider the scope of things at the time. So how we evaluate a 35th pick overall is going to be different from how we evaluate a fourth pick overall. But an A is going to be someone who exceeds expectations um, and, and allows us to start contending at least, you know, either immediately, which obviously never happened, or at some point down the line. Um, and an F is the opposite. And sort of in the middle as a C, I would say, are these types of moves that you look back on McDonough's legacy and are really inconsequential, uh, didn't really go one way or the other for us. There's a lot of debate about how good of a general manager Ryan McDonough is. Some people absolutely loathe him or hate him. Some people think he's a genius who finally gave the team direction. I think the idea around this podcast is that we can be more granular about it. We can go through each move individually. And once we grade each move individually, we'll really know what we're looking at here instead of just kind of guessing at it. So... Uh, Sam and I are going to trade off Each season by season. Each significant move, I just want to add, Mike. We're not grading right. signing Jarrell right. McNeil to a 10-day contract. We're not grading flipping <laughs> Shavlik Randolph for Reggie Bullock. No, None of those moves. We're not trying to kill oh. you people with a four-hour long recording, but we're picking the most significant stuff from uh, every season. Yeah, the goal was about 10 moves, which actually there really is only about 10 to 15 moves a season anyway. So the goal was 10 or less moves per season. So we're going to start right now with the 13-14 season. Just a reminder of where we were at at the time. This is the disastrous Lance Blanks era. We're coming out of that. We still have Lon Babby, who sounds like a cartoon character when he talks. He was still part of the team when Ryan McDonough was hired. The team that we had before Ryan McDonough featured Martian Gortat, uh, Vince Carter, uh, Michael Beasley. It was bad. It was maybe one of the worst eras in Suns basketball uh, ever, possibly ever. Um, So Ryan McDonough was hired that season. The very first move in Ryan McDonough's career is hiring Jeff Hornacek, former Suns legend. This was on May 28th, 2013. The previous coach was Lindsey Hunter who won 12 of the 41 games he coached. (laughs) Bad, bad. A young coach, first-time head coach. The only thing I remember about Lindsey Hunter really well is that one uh, YouTube video where Michael Beasley just, like, shoots a a long air ball, like, with 21 seconds left on the shot clock or something like that, and the camera pans to Lindsey Hunter's face, and he's just in shock. It's like a Doc Rivers reaction gif. Yeah, it was every Phoenix Suns fan for that whole season, basically. He represented all of us. Oh, it was terrible. Well, yeah, this is why it's important to set the stage, because um, when you talk about people who think McDonough is a genius because he gave the team direction, the team in the Lance Blanks era had no direction whatsoever. I think I said it on the last podcast that the highlight of that era of Suns basketball, if you were a fan looking ahead to the future, um, was watching Markeith Morris in the Rising Stars game. Yeah, so I, I stand I stand by that sentiment. Like looking back on it, I really think it was that and Nash Gortat mm-hmm. pick and rolls. And then once Nash was gone, it was even worse. Um it was like watching Jermaine O'Neal almost, you know <laughs> who the, the some of the players we tried to revive in that like era from twenty eleven to twenty thirteen. I mean, we're talking about players like Michael Red, Jermaine O'Neal just resurrecting these players back from the dead. We still had Channing Fry at the time. 
Um, so yeah, it was a bad era of Suns Watching basketball. Vince Carter play for the Phoenix Suns was one of the most frustrating things I've ever watched. He was one of my favorite players growing up, and he could not care less. It's He came in out of shape. He barely tried on the court, and then he moved on, and he actually played pretty well for some teams after that. He's still in the NBA right now, so that was very frustrating. Now, as we talk about these moves, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, so we can judge them based on how we feel about them now, but we're going to try and do a combination of sort of understanding where we were at the time and also hindsight, because hindsight does matter, but context still matters as well. So just a sort of a reminder of Jeff Hornacek's career, he coached 213 games with the Suns. Uh, they won 101 of those. Actually, not a terrible win percentage considering what we've been looking at since then. A 47% win percentage. He coached from 2013 to 2016, and he was fired uh, later in, uh, well, early in 2016, February, after a 14-35 and 35 start to that 15-16 season. Disastrous 15-16 season. Oh, I can't, I can't. Uh, that's going to be rough to talk about. So, Hiring Jeff Hornacek, I I think it's not. I don't. I, I would give it a solid B, not a terrible. I thought he did all right. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I, I guess we're starting off with a complete agreement because I was going to say a B as well. I think a lot of Suns fans towards the end of his tenure became frustrated, particularly with his late game execution. We really wanted to be this good team because his first season we won 48 games and we really wanted to latch on to this belief that we were building something for the future and then got frustrated when his rotations were kind of wacky at the end of games and he couldn't you know, draw a sideline play with like five seconds left on the clock to save his life. Um, but overall, you know, I think there is something to the fact that Hornacek was able to get that Cinderella season out of us um, in 2013-14. I think for the most part, he was a good players coach, a motivator outside of his dealings with a particular pair of twins. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I would say this was probably a B. It sometimes feels a little bit gimmicky when teams just hire former players from the franchise to come back and be the coach. That's why I didn't want like Steve Nash or Charles Barkley being seriously considered for any sort of son's positions as they've kind of sort of been rumored at in the past. Like, people saying bring Nash back as a coach or bring Barkley back as a GM. I remember with something, a sentiment going around five years ago. Um, and I'm glad those things didn't happen. But in Hornacek's case, I do think he, w- he was a legitimately um, pretty good coach. I'm probably happier with our new hire right now in Kokoshko, but that sort of always happens when you hire a new coach. You can call Hornacek the best coach of the Ryan McDonough tenure so far. I mean, when was the last time yeah. you felt good as a Phoenix Suns fan? It probably was that 48-win team. It's the last team that had yep. a winning record. And it's just, I think it's a little unfair to give him anything below a B. So let's just call it a B. Um, next move. Oh, this we might disagree on. Actually, I'm interested to hear how you feel about this. The Phoenix Suns on June 27th, 2013, select Alex Len with the fifth pick of the draft. In that draft, everyone remembers, it was a disaster draft. Terrible, terrible draft. Uh, Anthony Bennett was picked first. The classic Bill Simmons. Whoa! I'll never forget that. Uh, <laughs> most fans were upset that we didn't pick Nerlens Noel. He was picked the next pick, I believe. Giannis was the 15th pick, the best player in the draft by yeah, that, far. That Nerlens, that Nerlens Noel opinion aged well, though. Yeah, so. I, I think that's going to be part of how we talk about this. CJ McCollum was picked 10th. Uh, yeah. Other significant players after that, Steven Adams, Kelly Olynyk. I know Kelly Olynyk, but I don't know. It could be argued yeah, he, he's got a contract right now and Alex Len doesn't. So it's fair to sort of bring him up. Uh, 
I am not the biggest Alex Len fan. Now, in a vacuum, in a vacuum, if you don't look at the rest of the draft, picking Alex Len with the fifth pick to me is an F. Uh, but we can't say it's an F no. in this particular draft because it was such a disaster draft. Uh, yeah. So you kind of have to bring that context into it. Alex Len currently not on the team, so his rookie contract ends. He's gone. Uh, so we don't get him anymore after this. He's been a f- relatively solid defensive center, um, terrible offensively, never really provided any offensive spark for the team at all, um, not great hands, um, and never really connected with the fan base in any way, I would say. Um, I know at games... Uh, people in the stands tend to scream at Alex Len every time he lost the ball on a pick and roll. So I want to give this a D. How do you feel about that? I'm going to defend it a little bit um, and try to up you. I, w- I would go with a C in terms of the this is inconsequential, and I think it's all about hindsight and context here. The most critical we're going to be of any drafts in the McDonough tenure are obviously going to be the 2013 draft and the 2016 draft. Um, But on the other hand, you can't be too negative on them because those were two fucking terrible draft classes. Uh, It's just not fair. I mean, there were a couple of steals in the in the 2013 draft for sure. But it's just not fair to say, oh, we could have taken Giannis, uh, who went 15th overall. Or, oh, we could have taken Rudy. Go. We needed a center. Why didn't we take Rudy Gobert, who went 27th? You can't Mm -hmm. think like that. You have to put yourself in the mindset of uh, McDonough in 2013 and think about the prospects that were actually available to him. If the Suns weren't going to take Alex Len fifth overall, but they still really wanted a big man, their options were basically you could take Nerlens Noel, who went sixth. Um, They could have reached for a couple of guys who went in the late lottery, like Steven Adams or Kelly Olynyk. And I think the reality is that all three of those guys, if we had taken Noel, Adams, or Olenek, still all three of them would have turned out better than Len, particularly like if we took Steven Adams, that would have been a good move. Um, but it's they're not such mm-hmm. they're not such big difference makers over the skill set that Len possesses that it really makes a difference. There was no real winning situation here for the Suns. I don't think we were going to take a guard in this draft. Like, I don't really think CJ McCollum was ever an option. If you look at the other guys who were drafted immediately after Len, it's names like Ben McLemore, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, and Trey Burke. I mean, it's not exactly a list of appealing names. So it's sort of like, what what could we have possibly done better? So yeah, I mean, I would I would probably go with a C here, even though I admit, you know, Alex Len, his tenure is over with the Suns, and it didn't particularly work out. Okay, I'm going to relent. Let's call that a C. You're going to relent. I think that's okay. fair. It's just, it's it. well, it's such a terrible draft, and I, I don't want to let my personal feelings about Alex Len sort of dictate that because I think it's just such a terrible draft. Yeah, I mean, you can't use the Rudy Gobert argument or the Giannis argument. I mean, it would have been right. fantastic if we had found one of those guys, but you got to think about the guys that were available. And Trey Burke or Ben McLemore, that's not a better draft. Um, Steven Adams, I think, would have been like the best-case scenario for us there in terms of reaching down for a prospect. Steven Adams currently would be pretty good in a Suns uniform, although obviously that would probably mean we're not drafting DeAndre Ayton. Who knows? Well, CJ McCollum, of course. Or C- Well, yeah, CJ McCollum would have been fantastic. C- build around CJ McCollum and Steven Adams instead of Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and see where that takes you. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> that's very true. Uh, so the next move, and I know we said significant moves, but this one matters. We traded Suns legend <laughs> Nemanja Nedovic to the Golden State Warriors for Archie Goodwin and Malcolm Lee. This Golden is the State Archie Warriors Goodwin legend trade. Malcolm Lee. Excuse you. <laughs> so it's just the Archie Goodwin trade. I just wanted to keep it on there because Archie Goodwin, uh, 
there were fans that believed in him. Uh, people thought he was going to be a great guard. I I never liked Archie Goodwin. I, I didn't think he was good, but I don't think that this trade... We don't even have to grade this trade, to be honest, because it's just, a, what, a C, I guess? A D? A, a B? I, you can call it anything. Yeah, I think so. It's it's something like that. A C. It's, it's inconsequential. It, it happened. I put, yeah. It happened. <laughs> I've put Archie Goodwin out of my mind. I think it's important to mention this one because Archie Goodwin would go on to play a part in some drama a couple years later, but um, do we really need to grade this? I don't know. No, no. One thing I do want to point out is Archie Goodwin is now the highest scoring summer league player of all time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not a joke. No, that's I know it's real not. fact. That's real fact. Yeah. Yep. All right. So let's move on to a real one. And I actually think this is a good trade. We traded Luis Scola to the Indiana Pacers for Gerald Green, Miles Plumley, and a 2014 first round draft pick that ended up being, I think the, well, it was Bogdan Bogdanovich. Yeah. So, Let's not talk about how that pick was traded yet. Let's just talk about how it was Louis Scola for Gerald Green, Miles Plumley, and Bogdan Bogdanovich. To me, this is a clear A. This is the first A that we have here. That was a great trade. Gerald Green was really good for us. Miles Plumley was amazing. He got paid from his time on the Suns. And Bogdan Bogdanovich, I personally wish we would have kept him, but we can talk about that later. But he's playing really well in the NBA. He's a, he's a real NBA player right now. So just on the basis of that move alone, Luis Scola, who people thought were good at the time, was good at the time for Jail Green, Plumley, Bogdan. Uh, that's an A. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with that. Um, I think it's an A. But but let's be honest, this trade was all about the pick because, again, McDonough, I think, came in with a vision. He wanted to collect assets. That's what Danny Ainge taught him in Boston when he served close to 10 years there, um, first in a video room, then as an assistant GM and, and as a scout in the years in between. So it was all about getting the pick. Gerald Green and Miles Plumley were just salary filler um, after afterthoughts in that one. Uh, and then they both turned out to be really good. In a sense, this kind of hurt us. If you think about it, actually, because I really believe, and we're going to talk about this a little more when we get to the Gortat trade, but I really believe that McDonough's intention was to tank that season. And then Mm -hmm. Gerald Green and Miles Plumlee, as well as Goran Dragic and a bunch of other role players, played a little bit too well. If we didn't have Gerald Green and Miles Plumlee in that season, we're probably not a 48-win team at all. We're probably closer to like a 35-40 win team because that's how well those two guys played in that season. Um, even though that trade was just mm-hmm. all about the pick. Yeah, I think that McDonough's legacy at the time after the season was accidentally good. I- I've said it before on previous podcasts. He was accidentally good. But regardless, I think you kind of, because we don't fully know his intentions, because why would he say he's trying to lose? We do have to grade this on its own merit. And I think just based on that, it's an A. All right, on July 10th, 2013, as part of a three-team trade, the Phoenix Suns traded for... Eric Bledsoe and Karan Butler from the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, complicated trade, lots of parties involved. It was basically Jared Dudley and, well, some other things involved to get that Eric Bledsoe and Karan Butler. Karan Butler was later moved. We'll talk about that next. Uh, this was the, well, it's probably going down as the Eric Bledsoe trade. That's probably the best way to talk about it, right? Yeah. It, um, yeah, excuse me. It goes down 100% as the Eric Bledsoe trade. Now, of course, we can talk about Eric Bledsoe's entire career, sort of where he uh, 
ended up later. He didn't want to be here, I guess is a good way of putting it. But lots of things have happened since then. And I would say he was pretty good at first. That's a pretty good trade. Jared Dudley wasn't doing much. He wasn't moving the needle at all. And uh, McDonough was trying to start that rebuild. Um, And this was the first move, I would say, that started that rebuild, right? Yeah, this is sort of what I'm talking about when I say McDonough came in with a vision. We got rid of a veteran. It, it was such a low cost for us to acquire Eric Bledsoe. Um, and, and the reason I'm going to evaluate this trade highly is because despite my opinion on Bledsoe souring a little bit in the past couple of years, had the circumstances been different with some of the other moves we've made in the past several years, I do believe we could have had Bledsoe as a core piece on a very, very good playoff team. You know, I don't think he can be your first or second option on a very, very good playoff team. But I do think if, you know, just the net value is trading Jared Dudley in a second round pick for Eric Bledsoe, who we then rebuild with and he becomes, you know, the third option um, on a on a good playoff team, I think we could have made those circumstances work. And because of that, I'd have to give this trade an A, really. I mean, it didn't work out in hindsight with Bledsoe, but that was for the fault of other moves, not Bledsoe himself. I think it's fair to give this an A as well. Eric Bledsoe was the best player of that deal. Jared Dudley actually didn't even play that much for the Los Angeles Clippers. He was injured. I don't I don't know who that said. Oh, it was Marcus Page. That second round pick turned into Marcus Page. Where is he playing now? Nowhere. He's not even in the NBA. I <laughs> he mean, doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a figment of our imaginations. So that's an A. Uh, I think it's fair to give that one an A as well. Um, so Eric Bledsoe, regardless of how that turned out, he was pretty good, and he was a high upside player, and we didn't give up much to get him at all. It's kind of crazy, actually, to think about the Clippers making yeah. that trade. Well, the Clippers needed to get rid of the logjam. They were um, fully in on Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan. Um, and I don't even remember when was this. This was 13-14. Was this Doc Rivers' first season as coach? Had Vinny Del Negro been fired yet? Mm. I think that may be like the start of the Doc Rivers era with the Clippers, or maybe it was even a little bit earlier and I'm misremembering. Yeah. I, I feel like maybe this was the last Vinny Del Negro season actually, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but the, the point is for the Suns, I'd say an A that's a fair, fair grade to give that. Uh, after that, Karan Butler, <laughs> it was funny. Cause I don't know if you remember this, but the Suns had those new uniforms. This was the, uh, first year of the sleeved uniforms, the uniforms everyone hated, the sort of baseball-looking uniforms. And the Suns had a hilarious sort of fashion show where they showed off the new uniforms at a mall in Scottsdale. And one of the models for the jerseys was Karan Butler. Karan Butler showed off the jersey. He sort of walked up and down the aisle. And that was the only time he ever appeared in a Suns jersey, as far as yep. I know. <laughs> yep. That's really funny, actually. I totally yep. forgot about that. Yeah, Karan Butler was then traded uh, to the Milwaukee Bucks where he played. Um, that was Ish Smith, basically. We got Ish Smith back. Uh, there was another player involved, Vyacheslav Kravstov, but he didn't really play for the Suns. Ish Smith was good, I, I thought. Accidentally good. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Again, I rate this one as inconsequential. I like Ish Smith. Yeah. I really do. Um but what did Ish Smith really do for us? You know, when we think back on this era, we're not going to be thinking of Slava Kravtsov and Ish Smith. Well, here's the other thing to talk about. This team won, accidentally won, 48 games as we talk about. Would If we kept Karan Butler on this team, Karan Butler was still pretty good at the time and, and a good piece to have on a team that's winning games. If Karan Butler stayed on the team, would that have been enough 
to get the Suns to the playoffs. Yeah, well, def- we're going to, again, talk about the Gortat trade next. If we had kept, we got nothing for Gortat and Butler combined. And if we had just kept Gortat and Butler, we missed the playoffs by one game. So I don't know if just Butler by himself at that point in his career was was enough. Um, I wouldn't say he was an amazing role player at that point in his career. He's still pretty decent. But Butler and Gortat combined, absolutely, we, we would have made the playoffs. We might have been beaten badly in the first round, but we would have made the playoffs if we hadn't made those moves. So I think I think we actually should grade this Karan Butler-ish Smith trade. And I think, like you said, it's inconsequential. So how about a C? Uh, Yeah, okay. I, I can feel that. A C. Yeah, you can argue. What do you? Uh, would you argue lower no, than I that? No, I was thinking. Well, I feel lower than that on the Gortat trade, but then I feel like, but then I feel like I need to use that logic to also be lower on the Butler trade than I am. But let we got so many trades to go through. Let's just go with a go with a C on Karan Butler. I say it's fair. It's fair. The next one we traded <laughs> the disastrous Shannon Brown. Uh, I did not like watching Shannon Brown. So we traded Shannon Brown, Marcin Gortat, Malcolm Lee, and Kendall Marshall whew, to the Washington Wizards for Emeka Okafor, Ooh. who was injured, did not play Ooh. a single game, had a neck injury. Yeah. And the 2014 <laughs> first round pick, first round pick was the only part that we thought was good, who was eventually Tyler Ennis, which we talked about on our last podcast. Uh, Tyler Ennis was much hyped player. Uh, the pick was top 12 protected at the time we ended up getting it. I think it was the 13th pick, right? Uh, for Tyler Ennis? Right. This was, uh, or was it later pick. than that? 18th pick. Okay, cool. So, we, you know, it wasn't either way, it conveyed immediately after that. This was a very clear move to tank. The idea was we trade players that could help us win games. I guess the only one maybe being Marcin Gortat at the time. And uh, we get a draft pick and cap space out of it essentially or someone who would eventually be cap space in a mecca orc for who did not play a single game for us um this is a complicated move to grade uh if you think about it within the context of the season like we just talked about the suns won 48 games marcin gortat would have been a difference maker on a team that was that close to making the playoffs that means that should we say that this is a D or maybe even an F based on that alone. Or do we look at it in hindsight and say, oh, we're clearly trying to tank, but it didn't work. Even if we were trying to tank, it didn't work. In in my opinion, I think it should be argued a D. And if you feel like an F, I think I can be convinced. Yeah, this. so first of all, as, as you were kind of saying, this is the clearest evidence there is that Ryan McDonough came in and was he won by accident. If you think that he built that team in 2013, 2014 and gets all the credit for the success of Gerald Green and Miles Plumley. This is proof that he shouldn't, because this was clearly a move with no other intentions than to uh, collect assets. Um, yeah, we would have made the playoffs with Martian Gortat, and I also think that a lot of the drama that was incurred by the Suns in those couple of years, from around 2013 to 2015, uh, winning tends to heal all wounds. And if the Suns had made the playoffs once or even twice in that time period, I do believe. We would have had an easier time attracting free agents. We would have had an easier time uh, sort of building momentum, both in the media and in the fan base, sort of awakening that dormant Suns fan base. And we would have ultimately had an easier time keeping our players happy. So for all of those reasons, the fact that a Gortat trade kept us out of the playoffs, because seriously, if we had Gortat, I'm very confident in saying that we would have had that one extra win. This is a D at best, maybe an F, as you said, Mike. Yep. I think you're right. As you talk through it, I think that's where I landed as well. So an F, 
Let's call it an F. And that was actually the last off-season move of the season. There was really no significant in-season moves. We did sign Barbosa, which was sort of a fan favorite for the rest of the season. He didn't really do much. Uh, I don't think we need to grade that move at all. It, it was didn't not a needle mover either way. Um, so that was the 13-14 season, the accidentally good season. So let's move on to the 14-15 yeah, season. Yeah, um, so we'll switch gears here a little bit. I will introduce these moves now. And the first thing, so again, context. The, end of the, the whole point of that 2013-14 season was collecting all these assets, as we were just talking about. So Suns fans were really excited when we had three first-round picks and a second-round pick, which is something that we've had a few times now in the McDonough tenure. But um, four picks to talk about. I'd say really only three are consequential. The first one, of course, being the Suns select TJ Warren, 14th overall. Mike, how do you feel about it? TJ Warren was a good pick. Uh, now, there was some picks afterwards. I would say you listed some of them here. Gary Harris, Rodney Hood, Clint Capella, Kyle Anderson. These are all picks taken afterwards. But I think for a 14th pick, that's high value. Now, I wouldn't really give it an A because TJ Warren is a flawed player. He's good, but he's a flawed player. I think calling this a B is a fair grade. Yeah, um, I, I think so, too. I think Warren has been one of the few bright spots for us in the past few seasons. Still hasn't shown any evidence that he can really be... Um, a clear building block. Uh, so, although, you know, Suns fans will debate that forever, it seems. Um, but yeah, no, I know. I think I have to agree with a, with a B there. I think that's, that's basically what Warren's value is. I can't justify giving him an A if we're setting the bar for an A as drafting Devin Booker. I mean, he's not cl- so clearly putting us on this path to long-term contention. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Let me just put him in as a B here, as I am keeping track of these as we go along. Um, And then let's talk about the next one, which is Tyler Ennis, who was selected 18th overall. So this one, I think, is is really important to talk about because it affects the Gortat trade that we were just, um, that we just gave an F to. Gary Harris was taken 19th, one Mm -hmm. spot after Tyler Ennis. And I think if we had drafted Gary Harris, not only would we be rating that very favorably, but also that Gortat trade looks much more favorably if it led to us getting a prospect like Gary Harris, uh, who was attainable at that spot. And so we got Tyler Ennis, who was gone within a year and didn't really do anything. Yeah, I think Tyler Ennis is one of the reasons that was an F. And if we call this draft anything sort of better than that, it might be a little... Well, there's a lot more reasons it's an F. So maybe how about a D for Tyler Ennis? He he didn't really play much, and he was never good. Yeah, I don't want to pan him too much, only because 18th overall, it's not like I'm exactly expecting a starting caliber player there. But I think a D, right. I think a D is probably fair for Ennis. I mean, he really, even for 18th overall pick, I think you're hoping for backup point guard material, and he underperformed for even that. If think about if we had picked Clint Capella there, which we could have, it was only seven picks later that Clint Capella was picked. That would be a steal. It'd be an amazing draft pick. Kyle Anderson, even who was picked twelve picks later, or that's a great. That would be a great player. There's, there's, and of course Nikola Jokic. Nobody can really say anything about Nikola Jokic yeah. being picked forty first there, but it's just an option that could have happened. The there. ideal draft to, to think about here, if you're a Suns fan, is talking about guys who were realistic to obtain at these various slots. The Suns probably keep Warren at 14th. They take Gary Harris or Clint Capella in that Tyler Ennis spot and then take a guy like Kyle Anderson or maybe Jeremy Grant instead of Bogdan Bogdanovich. Or Bogdan Bogdanovich is a pretty solid player. You could just keep him in all honesty. Um, But yeah, that would have been a fantastic draft to build around that we would, you know, be 
uh, still applauding to this day. So a D. Yeah, I think uh, I think a D is probably where we have to go with this. And then we'll move on to the last one. We could talk about Alec Brown, but I, I think that's inconsequential. 50th overall pick, you don't really <laughs> expect too much from Mr. Downtown Alec Brown. So we'll talk about Bogdan Bogdanovic um, hailing from Serbia. Uh, I remember this is a guy who I tracked a lot in these seasons after we took him as he was playing for Fenerbahce Istanbul with notable names like Jan Vesely, Pero Antic, and uh, who else was on that team? Andrew Gaudelok, I think. Um, that may sound like a bunch of scrubs, but that was actually a really good team in the EuroLeague. Um, but yeah, Bogdanovich, 27th overall. What's your take? I think that's an A. Uh, the fact that he never played should, I guess, factor into it. But just as a general pick... He is a great. He's a great NBA player. He fits perfectly into modern uh, NBA teams. As far as where he was picked at twenty seventh, it's hard to ask for more than that. Now, of course, there are other picks that we talked about after Kyle Anderson, Jeremy Grant, Nikola Jokic that were picked later. But that's just that's a best case scenario for a lot of those picks. And I would say that Bogdan is going to be better than two of those players. Nikola Jokic being the one that's going to be better than him. Uh, the fact that we ended up trading him that's a great uh, move that we can grade later. But that's a really good pick at 27. Uh, okay, that's interesting. Any chance I can talk you down from that one if I was going to give him like a B plus? I think a B plus is a fair grade for that. I, I just I think that I followed Bogdan so closely. So did I. Yeah. After I really fell in love with the way that he played the the balls that he played with. To be honest, he's not afraid to take big shots. He's he kind of gets up in people's faces. I really fell in love with his game, and at that twenty seventh pick, I was really looking forward to him coming in and playing on the Suns at some point. But we didn't ever get to see that. We'll grade that later. But it was just it was a good pick at twenty seventh, and maybe we really shouldn't give any uh, pick that late in the draft anything higher than a B. To be honest, unless it was like a Nikola Jokic type pick. Does that mean I can sell you on the B plus proposition? This is, this I'm is sold. The first plus I'm sold. Hand out in this one, and again, B yeah. pluses or minuses are allowed, so um, we can we can do that. I'm excited about this next move. This next move, ah, yes, of course. On uh, July 24th, 2014, the Suns extend um, Anthony Leon Tucker for three years, sixteen and a half million dollars. A plus. <laughs> really. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I like PJ Tucker, Here's but based on our scale, I don't think that's really an A plus. You're right. I know, but it's hard for me to separate how I feel about PJ Tucker from all of this because he was the man in his time here in Phoenix. I loved watching him play, and I know super extreme DUI PJ Tucker, <laughs> but he always played hard. He he mentored the rookies, maybe better than any player that we've had, uh, including Jared Dudley and and. Tyson Chandler, who are supposed to be those mentors. Uh, I really love the way he played. He played hard. Uh, he constantly was that guy bringing the team up and picking him up, putting him on his back in times that we needed someone to do that. And for a guy that was sort of limited offensively, it was fun to see that. Uh, you know, I was a huge fan of P.J. Tucker. Now, to, to say a serious grade on that, uh, the contract was a pretty fair oh. market value. Maybe maybe people thought actually a little overpaid at the time, but as that as time went on, he, he was underpaid at the end of that contract, I would say. Uh, P.J. Tucker, he played all over the world. This guy worked his ass off to get into the NBA and when he was in the NBA he made the most of it and I can't say enough good things about PJ Tucker so uh, a fair grade for that maybe would be a a B B minus C plus in in reality it's not a huge difference maker especially for a team trying to lose I was gonna go up with you on it you know I was gonna say compromise maybe we'll go for another B plus here because 
I don't know. I mean, I do believe that Tucker held some value as a difference maker in his time on the Suns. He was a great get, too. Just a great story with the way that he played overseas away from the NBA for like six years and then came back. Okay, that's fair. Let's give him just give him a solid B. That's a, that's a B move. That makes, yeah. that makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. again, this scale is hard. And also, just keep in mind, guys, we realize that it's a little unfair for us to be like, doing an unweighted gpa if that makes sense where all of these moves have the same value you know like signing drafting devin booker holds the same value as our karan butler trade or whatever but like you know that's just the easiest way for us to go about it i would say on our scale of b for tucker probably makes sense yeah i'd say it's fair okay next one take note of the date on this one on september 24th 2014 really long time almost media day almost preseason. Uh, the Suns extend Eric Bledsoe for five years, $70 million. Yeah. So when did free agency open again? The first week yeah, of July? Yeah, fuck Rich Paul for this one. I mean, I think that's the big takeaway <laughs> um, here. We were really angry at Rich Paul. We loved Eric Bledsoe. Remember that, Suns fans? Um, and he'd only played mm-hmm. for the team for one year, and he had only played like 55 or so games that one season as we were trying to make the playoffs because he, he was sidelined for a few months. But he was just this magnificent little ball of energy. And uh, and I think, you know, to speak on this move, it, it was fair market value at the time, too. $12 million a year for a close to borderline all-star caliber point guard. I thought the deal just overall made sense. But obviously things didn't work out with Bledsoe so well. So I don't think time has looked very favorably upon this specific move. Uh, that seems like to... It's funny now to think that... Bledsoe was known as mini LeBron back oh, yeah. then, and that would be a joke if you called oh, him yeah. that now based on the way he's played recently. Yeah. I mean, he got torched by Terry Rozier mm-hmm. in the playoffs in front of the entire world watching. That is not a good look for Eric Bledsoe. Five years, $70 million, I think you could call it fair market value at the time. Most people felt that it was either an overpay or a slight overpay. Uh, I think it's actually fair to call it a slight overpay. Pay. Um, he didn't really <laughs> play out that contract on the Suns, as we all know now in hindsight, um, which matters as well, I think. Um, so I would say hmm, a C? I yeah, know. I think a C makes sense. But I, I think you can't go too low on this one because Bledsoe still was our best player for a couple of years right. after the fact. And again, I don't. I never question Bledsoe's talent. I question his dedication now, and maybe even his intelligence. But I never question his talent. And I think we had the ability to build around him better than we did. Um, especially, that's the sort of contract you might call it a slight overpay, but that would have left us with, or it did leave us with plenty of um, cap flexibility to continue to add more pieces around him. And that's where we started screwing up as we talk about some of the free agent signings we made over the next few years. So. This wasn't a great move, but I'd give it a C. Yeah, what a season! Oh God, I, and it's just gets like it's a, such a roller coaster ride these past several years. I'm just imagining had we been doing this podcast all these years. Um, <laughs> oh, oh God! All right, next one, guys. Um, this okay. This actually happened before we extended blood, so I got the order wrong um, here. But we sign and trade. Uh, for Isaiah Thomas, who came to us on a three-year, $21 million deal. And this was this was the move where we had missed the playoffs the year before, and McDonough just doubled down on this idea of, um, I guess he did, I don't know what it was. We need to discuss this, because I don't know if he was worried that the fans would be mad at him, or he legitimately thought he had the opportunity to build the team 
with that mishmash of role players into like a 55-60 win team. But by signing Isaiah Thomas, he made a full push to really try and propel this team into the playoffs, when in hindsight, we absolutely should have just given up and kicked guys like Miles Plumley and Gerald Green off the team uh, and just embraced the tank a couple of years earlier than we actually did. Uh, wh- what's your take on the whole Isaiah Thomas fiasco? I think that this is a complete backtrack. I think that he's said, oh, I was never trying to tank. This was all part of the plan originally. Oh, let's try and win now. It's a terrible move. Uh, it's it's actually it's a huge problem for the chemistry of the team now it was exciting sort of at the time because the free agent finally sort of signed in phoenix now it was a sign and trade but it was a free agency signing ultimately it was his decision to get moved you kind of have to do that for a sign and trade and it just didn't it didn't ever really work the the hilarious team photo of Goran Dragic, Isaiah Thomas, and Eric Bledsoe all holding the same basketball, kind of cheeky, going, hey, look, haha, there's only one ball, but we're all guards. Isn't that hilarious? No, it wasn't no, hilarious. Right. It was an absolute disaster. It actually really didn't work It out. wasn't funny at all. No, but- Yes, it, we, it started the whole disaster that was the next two seasons. This is where I start getting frustrated about Ryan McDonough. I realize how fired up I'm going to get in this podcast right now because we're going to get, we're okay. We're getting into this season. We're going to really, or this, yeah, this season, as we talk about on the episode is where things shit hits the fan, right? We're really going to get riled up now. The job of a general manager is not just to trade players like, uh, like Pokemon cards. It's also to manage <laughs> an entire team. Your job is to keep the players happy, make sure they're all on the same page, make sure the entire organization on down is on the same page. And this was the beginning of saying, I don't care how you feel about wanting to have the ball, Goran Dragic, in my opinion, our best player. Uh, I don't care about signing you Eric Bledsoe which happened after this trade uh you're my second priority I'm going to sign someone who plays the same position as you before you agree to your deal it's clear to me that Ryan McDonough is some sort of robot that doesn't even understand human emotions or didn't maybe properly think about how this would affect the actual emotional state of the other players on the team it's just this this move in hindsight, drives me crazy. And at the time, I was kind of bought into it. I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't. I like this. I was kind of excited to see. I'm a fan, though, right? So I kind of rationalize everything to try and get excited about watching it. It took a little time to realize how much of a disaster this really was. Now, I'm not, and here's the thing, I'm not going to give it an F. I don't want to give it an F just yet. Um, uh, I will have an F related to Isaiah Thomas later, but right now I'm going to give this, uh, I'll say a D, right? Is a D a fair one? Yeah, I think a D is probably fair. I want to give a a bit of a different perspective on it. I think I agree with you. I think Ryan McDonough's legacy is potentially ultimately going to be defined by him forgetting about the human element of basketball. But we also have to mention the fact that I don't think either, well, okay, I'm just going to speak for myself. I have never questioned his... um, ability to scout well to mostly for the most part to scout players purely from a basketball standpoint the three point guard lineup purely from a basketball standpoint worked as much as you could reasonably expect those three players none of whom at the time were all-star caliber to work going into the all-star break the suns were 29 and 25 if you go back and look at the lineups that we were playing we were using that three point guard lineup only a few minutes per game at the end of fourth quarters and second quarters mainly to like close out our halves and it worked we had a positive net rating it was one of our best lineups on the floor 
The problem was just the human element. So the, the basketball was there. Uh, the Suns were actually performing arguably at a better level than they were in the, the season prior when those three were on the floor. But um, Oh, they 100% were. It was actually the li- lineup-wise, it was the sixth highest in offensive efficiency in the entire NBA of that season. That's insanely good. That's really, really good. Uh, but it's not... It's like we talked about. It's not just about that. That's that's sort of moving pieces around like Pokemon cards. And here's the thing: it's possible that there is a sort of environment where all three of those players do work together on the same team on the court at the same time. If you properly prepare the rest of the players for the reality of playing on that yeah. team, that means good communication ahead of time, uh, properly explaining what a role is and making sure that the players have enough input on that role to buy into what that role will be. And I don't think that any of that happened. And if it did, it didn't work. So it's it doesn't really matter if it did. That's a really point. good point, Mike. And I'm glad you brought that up because I still steadfastly believe that a three-point guard lineup can work if you have the right players for it. And the reason Dragic, Bledsoe, and Thomas weren't the right players for it, we're talking about three guys. None of them had made it to the NBA yet. All of them still had a chip on their shoulder. Bledsoe was stuck in negotiations with the Suns trying to get that contract extension. Dragic was a bit of a late bloomer, so he hadn't really made it yet. He had only recently, he was coming off his most improved player season, the best season of his career. Obviously, he didn't want to be downgraded in his role. And then Isaiah Thomas is a guy who sort of always had a chip on his shoulder, was coming out of a bad situation in Sacramento. All of these guys were hungry for touches, for minutes, for their next contracts. They were worried about their stability long term, I'm sure. If you potentially got three point cards together and ran the same lineup where you made sure that at least one of those guys was an over the hill veteran who could still contribute, but was more willing to like bring in young guys. I mean, like, you know, over the past several years, like if you had some sort of veteran like a Jameer Nelson, a Tony Parker, someone to come in off the bench who would be more willing to play the role that Isaiah Thomas played for us, maybe it would have worked. But with those three guys, the problem, and I, we've seen this a lot more, not just here with the Isaiah Thomas move, but the problem the Suns have seen a lot, when you just throw 20 20-year-olds, 20 or when you, when you group 15 20-year-olds together on a roster, continuity is not a given. Chemistry is not a given for those guys. They're going to fight. There might be chemistry issues because all of them are looking for that opportunity, uh, and it's going to create a cutthroat environment. I, th- I think that's the crux of what we saw there with Thomas. It created a cutthroat environment, mm-hmm. and that is what hurt the Suns long term. So that was a sort of long discussion on that one move. But yeah, I'd, I'd settle for a D here yeah. with Isaiah yeah. Thomas. Absolutely. And the next move is Brandon Wright. We're going to skip right over that. <laughs> Let's go to, <laughs> we have to. I'm fired up now. Are we got to go directly to Doomsday. Doomsday 2015. Let's talk about this one right now. And you all know what I'm talking about immediately. Uh, Dragic, mad. Dragic was mad. Let's let's set the context uh, right away. So, you know, we knew that Goran Dragic was moving on Doomsday 2015. Of course, I'm talking about the all-star break, the trade deadline. Um, but then a couple of other moves that absolutely nobody saw coming. So there were a total of three trades that day. Let's talk about just the first one involving Goran Dragic. As part of a three-team trade, the Phoenix Suns traded Goran Dragic and Zoran Dragic. Remember him? <laughs> To the, to the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat traded Norris Cole, remember him, Justin mm-hmm. Hamilton, and Sean Williams to the New Orleans Pelicans. The Miami Heat traded Danny Granger, remember okay. him, 
a 2017 first-round pick and a, a 2021 first-round pick to the Phoenix Suns, and the Pelicans traded John Salmons to the Phoenix Suns. I'm not even going to say remember him because, frankly, I didn't until I looked up this blurb on the details of the trade. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we were backed into a corner here in terms of our leverage because Dragic made it very plain that he wanted out of Phoenix. Um, how did you feel about our performance in this one? The Suns made a lot of moves this day. This was the only good one. Now, oh, yeah. the fact that we had to move Goran Dragic because of the disaster that we just talked about before this, the Isaiah Thomas signing, needs to be accounted for. That means that even though in a vacuum, this trade is probably an A, getting two first-round picks for a player asking to leave your team is a good trade. You have no leverage, and you made something out of it. But... The fact that he was even asking to be off the team in the first place has to be taken into account. That means that Rick Ryan McDonough is partially responsible for that, if not entirely responsible for that. So it, you can't give it an A. You just can't. Now, if you if you were going to say A, sorry, I'm not going to let you do it. <laughs> but I don't think you could give it something as low as a C either because those two first-round picks matter. Uh, this is sort of when he's like, okay, maybe we are going to tank. I think this is that point where he, he sort no. of goes back to his initial plan. I don't think he did. Of collecting I don't think he assets. did, and we're going to talk about why in a minute, but I don't think he did. I think this is yeah. where he was stubborn and sticked with his plan when we should have tanked, but that has nothing to do with Dragic. So um, I don't know. I, I'm sort of feeling a B on this one. Are you feeling a B? Let's go with a B minus. B minus. Okay. I can I can get with that. We're going with a B minus, and the GPA so far is not looking good. I'm not going to reveal it yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Save it. Um, okay. So the next one, and okay, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is the one that nobody saw coming. As part of a three-team trade, the Phoenix Suns traded a 2018 first-round pick who ended up being Mikhail Bridges to the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> we also traded Tyler Ennis and Miles Plumley to the Bucks. The Bucks traded Brandon Knight and Kendall Marshall. Marshall mm. never played with us again to the Suns. And the Sixers traded Michael Carter-Williams, MCW, to the Bucks. Brandon Knight, Eastern Conference sucks. So Brandon Knight is this all-star caliber guard, so we thought. Mm -hmm. What's your take? Disaster. Disaster. Yep. And that this, this is, is exactly... A terrible, terrible trade. Yeah. Just, do we need to say more? It's terrible. No, no. We you, you, this resulted in us paying him way too much money. Okay, I will say I will say one thing just to sort of clarify what I meant when I was talking to you a minute ago um, about this. Is this is what I mean when we should have tanked? We should have never acquired Brandon Knight. I don't think I don't care if you think Brandon Knight is still a redeemable asset at this point and that he's about to have a good season as our starting point guard. Had we never acquired Brandon Knight on that day a few years ago, we would be in much better shape right now. And you really can't convince me otherwise because that would have been money much better spent elsewhere. We wouldn't have had to go through the process of giving up the pick that became Mikhail Bridges only to reacquire him later. Um, and and yeah, it's just. It was McDonough, instead of recognizing at that point that it didn't work, that the prior season had been a fluke, and that if he really wanted a forward-thinking plan, he would have needed to blow it up then and start us tanking a little bit earlier. Instead, he doubled down, tried to acquire Knight, uh, and it, it didn't work. And the only argument I could see people potentially using against this is, hey, it didn't matter that we were kind of good that season because we got Devin Booker out of it, right? Because we drafted Devin Booker 13th overall. And we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. But to that point so far, all I will say is that Brandon Knight didn't help us win or lose any games either way that season. Like we could have not acquired Brandon Knight and still been a good enough team 
to have a good enough or a bad enough pick, so to speak, um, that we still could have gotten Devin Booker in that draft and never acquired Brandon Knight. He only played like 15 games for us post All-Star break, and he wasn't particularly good in any of them. <sighs> Those are the feelings there. D? Oh, Jesus. I'm really feeling an F on this one, but if you want to compromise, All right. no, if you want to compromise, no. talk me out no, of it. No, I... Talk me out of it. <laughs> it's just hard to say what is an F and what isn't an F. And But here's here's the way to look at it. We have Mikhail Bridges, right? But we could have had Mikhail Bridges, yeah, we, an extra $70 million of cap space, and the Miami We could have had Mikhail Bridges and Zaire Smith right now. So, so don't try to tell me that you know I should be happy with just Mikhail Bridges when the assets we had, we could have had so much more. There's a chance that both Mikhail Bridges and Zaire Smith are better NBA players than Brandon yeah, Knight. There's a really good chance. And I, I like mm-hmm. Brandon Knight. He's saying all of the right things right now. He seems to be in shape. I hope... I'm rooting for him. I'm a Suns fan, right? I hope he comes in and kicks ass this season. But that just doesn't take away from the fact that when we're evaluating McDonough, this was bad. This was real bad, guys. Since I'm going to get into this more when we get to the Brandon Knight contract. But since this is related, Brandon Knight is averaging about 35 games played per season since his contract. It's not. It's just a bad. You're right. It's an F. It's an F. <laughs> you just had to talk. And there's this. and we're still one more trade left. And there's still yeah. And there's still one more trade left. So we should talk about it. Are you ready to talk about that one? Uh, can we just say it's an F already? <laughs> All right. Uh, I do have to read the description in case people don't remember exactly what happened. As part of another three-team trade, the phones must have been ringing off the hook that day for the Suns front office. Um, mm-hmm. This all actually, too, I want to set the set the stage a little. All of these trades went down at 11.59 p.m., a minute before the deadline. This was and, the peak of F5 season on RNBA. Oh, my good God. Yeah. Go ahead. Break it down. As part of a three-team trade, the Phoenix Suns traded Isaiah Thomas to the Boston Celtics. The Celtics traded Tayshawn Prince to the Pistons, um, and Marcus Thornton and a 2016 first-round pick, a late first-round pick, to us. Um, the Pistons also traded Gigi Datome, and, uh, who also played for Fenerbahce, by the way, and Jonas Jerebko uh, to the Celtics. Um, and that 2016 first-round pick that we acquired ended up conveying at 28th overall, and it became Scal Labissiere. So instead of even just talking about Thomas here, let's talk about the full picture. Here's what we received through all these three trades on Doomsday, as we're calling it. And here's what we sent out. I'm going to ignore all of the garbage players. So forget the Tyler Ennis, the Miles Plumley, the Zoran Dragic, forget Danny Granger, all those guys. We sent out Goran Dragic, Isaiah Thomas, and Mikhail Bridges for Brandon Knight, Scalabissiere, Zaire Smith, and a 2021 first-round pick that is apparently the best asset in the NBA, but that we don't even have anymore. We sent and and Thomas. I know the Eastern Conference is weaker, but technically Thomas and Dragic are both All-Star guards. They both have that to their name and the stuff that they've accomplished in the season since. And Bridges. That's what we sent out. We had to reacquire Bridges. Brandon Knight, as you were just saying, Mike, averaged like 35 games played for us since the contract. Labissiere, we traded in the Marquise Chris trade. Zaire Smith and the first round pick we traded to get Mikhail Bridges back. It's hard to look at that haul of everything we did on that day and just evaluate it overall as anything other than an F because it, it was just an absolute disaster. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. Really embarrassing. And the worst part about it is how how much I was trying to talk myself into it at the time. Well, me too. Uh, <laughs> me too. Yeah, we all did That's it. That's an embarrassing moment for me. We all did it, except for, you know, a couple select people who I guess have a stronger will than we do. I think the Dragic trade value for value was still really good. 
That's why we gave it a good mm -hmm. grade. But it's those other two traits. Disastrous. Absolutely disastrous mm -hmm. in hindsight. Think about this. The Celtics trading a second-round pick for Isaiah Thomas essentially resulted in them getting Kyrie Irving. Yeah, well, and that's the difference between Danny Ainge and Ryan McDonough. McDonough's still a young GM. He's still learning, whatever. But, you know, he has the ideas. Ainge taught him about the importance of asset collection. And that's why I say I believe that Ryan McDonough has the right ideas in terms of how to build a team. I think he's a smart basketball analytics guy um, who is looking for the right things. Like when he goes into press conferences and talks to media and talks about the positions that we're looking for as we look in free agency, um, when he never reveals things in terms of uh, talking about our options, he always keeps our options wide open. Half the time his moves are things that nobody even foresaw coming. He's very tight-lipped that way. Uh, so in a lot of respects, I think he's a smart basketball executive, except for the fact that there are those obvious differences between master and apprentice and Danny Ainge and Ryan McDonough. And just look at, you know, how we've gotten fleeced in some of these deals as evidence of that. Disgusting. Nobody's ever won a, won a trade so outright as that Isaiah Thomas trade. Let's move on because there's actually good news coming for the Phoenix Suns. Oh, okay. Deep breath. Let's move on. The 2015-2016 season was an absolute disaster. Except for one thing. <laughs> but it started on June 25th, 2015. One of the largest days potentially in Phoenix Suns history. The Suns selected Devin Booker from Kentucky with the 13th pick. This is a clear A+. Plus. Yeah. A+. Plus. Agreed. Now, there's a lot of things that happened this season. I want to do this a little differently. Oh, there's no A+, plus on my scale. Oh, well, it's an A. <laughs> if the A is a high oh. it can go, as high as it can go, an A. A is as high as it can go. All right. Well, A+, plus in our hearts. I guess hearts. an A+, plus is like a 4.3, 4.4, I don't even know. I've never had a GPA system like that. Yeah, all right. So we'll give it an A, A plus yeah. in our hearts. Now, I'm just going to talk through every single move that happened real quick, and let's go back and grade them. It's because I think it's fair to talk about the things that happened. Andrew Harrison was traded for John Luer. Hmm. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, all of a sudden, on July 9th, the opening of free agency, Ryan McDonough walks into a LaMarcus Aldridge meeting with Tyson Chandler, who was just surprised, signed to a four-year, $52 million deal, and tried to convince LaMarcus Aldridge that the Phoenix Suns were somehow not still tanking. I guess this is another example of Ryan McDonough being a little unsure of what he wants to do, I think. Um, you know, we can talk about that Tyson Chandler contract in a minute. Obviously, LaMarcus Aldridge did not sign with the Phoenix Suns. Next, we traded Reggie Bullock, Danny Granger, and Marcus Morris to the Detroit Pistons uh, for a 2020 second round draft pick. Now, remember that uh, this was a huge deal at the time. Marcus Morris being traded pissed off uh, both Morris twins because they thought somehow that they could play together and be together forever like Andy and Ollie from Bob's Burgers. Now, <laughs> Despite beating up people on the side of the street and exactly combining for the most technical fouls in the NBA, getting in fights with their coaches, yeah. They thought that. Well, br yes. Brandon Knight was then signed to a five-year, $70 million oh, deal. Lord yes, help us. I know. This is all before the season started. Uh, Mirza Toledovic was signed to an inconsequential one-year, $5.5 million deal. Then, once the season began on uh, February 1st, we talked about this earlier, Jeff Hornacek was fired 
after a 14 and 35 start, something like that. A disastrous start, a start that people did not somehow did not expect, even though at this time we should have figured out that this team was going to be terrible. Uh, then the great Earl Watson was promoted. <laughs> uh, keep in mind, Earl Watson never had any head coaching experience, was not even an assistant coach technically on the team. He was a player development coach, so not quite even someone who could even call plays at the time. He was promoted from the bottom of the coaching heap directly to the top. Uh, then uh, the same, or two weeks later, the same month, February 18th, Markeith Morris was traded for Chris Humphreys, Dewan Blair, people who did not really play on the Suns as far as I'm concerned, uh, for the, and a pick that turned into Papianis, George Papianis, uh, which was then traded later as the uh, in part of the Marquise Chris trade. But let's go over a little bit of, of the Morris twins. In the season, Markeith Morris was fined $10,000 for conduct detrimental to the league by publicly demanding a trade. Sound familiar? Another player publicly demanding a trade earlier in the season. Uh, Markeith was also benched by Jeff Hornacek after starting the first 16 games of the season. Markeith Morris then later threw a towel in the direction of Jeff Hornacek, or for those who saw it, in his <laughs> fucking face. In the, Where did you pull the in the direction of quote? Is that from a press room? This was from the team, the uh, official team statement. They they suspended him for throwing a towel in the direction of Jeff Hornacek. This is, this is what baby. they said. Still is. Yeah. Yes. And then after that complaining, whining, bitching, throwing towels, demanding a trade, the first game of the worst coach the Suns have ever had, Earl Watson, the first game that he was the head coach, Markeith Morris just blows the doors off the game with 30 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 blocks, and a steal. Eventually, he was still traded, but not before his final game with the Suns, where he essentially tried to strangle Archie Goodwin (laughs) on the bench to the point where his own teammates needed to separate them. This was unbelievable. This was one of the worst times to be a Phoenix Suns fan. Now, we didn't know that, keep mm -hmm. in mind, we didn't know that Devin Booker was Devin Booker just yet. He was having a promising rookie season. He was looking quickly like he could be, you know, more than just the pure catch-and-shoot player that we thought. But he didn't have superstar potential yet until maybe the very end of the season when people were thinking, wow, this guy could be really good. That stretch of several months between striking out on Aldridge, watching Brandon Knight play, promoting Earl Watson, the Markeith Morris drama, just a train wreck. Seriously, a complete train wreck period of time for this team booker's the one bright spot this is where the sun's reputation was damaged maybe permanently or at least for for the next maybe five to ten years uh every single day there was people saying negative things about the phoenix suns on sports radio on espn or in some cases actual suns players going on tv or on the radio uh, and saying negative, I remember Markeith Morris saying sometimes home games don't even feel like home games. So the crowd's better on the road. It, it, literally, our own player talking shit about people who go to the games, not even just regular fans sort of uh, on, on the side or on Reddit or whatever. No, these are fans that are actually at the games, and he was going at them. Uh, this was a disaster season. I don't miss it in any way, but let's go through the, <laughs> let's quickly go through these moves individually before I blow a fuse here. The Devin Booker, A, obviously, 
Andrew Harrison traded for John Luer. I know this is not a major move, but I just want to say John Luer played well for the team. He actually had the fourth highest PER on the team. He played 67 games. He averaged eight points and five rebounds in 18 minutes. I actually liked watching John Luer play. It was funny kind of to watch this guy who didn't really talk much on a disaster team in a disaster season. Um, I, I don't mind that move. We don't even have to grade it because it was so inconsequential, but I just wanted to give a shout out to John Luer. But the next thing is that Tyson Chandler, four-year, $52 million deal. We do have to grade this one. I don't know how I feel about this contract in hindsight. I, I will say that Tyson Chandler averaged about 50 games a season with the Suns since he signed that. Um, like I said, seven seven points, almost 10 rebounds, 25 minutes. I would say... It wasn't a huge deal at the time because this is the season that we really decided to tank. Now, a lot of people thought we would trade Tyson Chandler at this trade deadline because it's clear that it was done. Like, we're tanking now. This is actually happening. Uh, And uh, he wasn't moved after that. He seemed to buy into being the mentor. I would say maybe a C is a fair grade for this. I don't think it's absolutely terrible. That cap space is not valuable to a team tanking anyway. So maybe having a veteran presence like that is worthwhile. Yeah, I I guess I probably agree. I don't want to be too negative on it because I think the gamble for LaMarcus Aldridge to get us in the top two teams that he was considering was probably worth it. I think in terms of pure value, maybe Chandler is even more like a D because he just hasn't played that well for the Suns. Um, At the time, he's a little overpaid, not quite as overpaid now with how crazy the contracts have gotten in the past couple of years. But I I would settle on a C and say that that's fair for Tyson. And the Marcus Morris trade is the next move. And here's the thing. Well, that's that's another natural consequence of that because the only reason that happened is to clear cap space for LaMarcus. Right. That's that's actually a great point. That's a great point. But... We didn't have to do it, technically. It could have been something that was done immediately afterwards. But to judge this trade, you also have to judge the the sort of reason that this trade happened in the first place. And, and I, I, it's a D to me. It's not. It's just the fact that there was a huge communication breakdown. The Twins were so pissed off. He did not properly prepare them for this to happen. They were under the impression that this dual contract that they were given, everyone remembers, they gave them a chunk of money and they decided how it was... Uh, split up between the two of them, which is hilarious that Marcus is like, yeah, I'll take 10% of that. You get the rest 90%, Marquise. We're good to go. We share a bank account anyway, uh, but whatever. Uh, I, I think to, to judge it, you have to judge the fact that he did not communicate it properly to the team, and this started the disaster that became this season. So a D to me, maybe even an F. Uh, I, I kind of want to be a little more lenient on this one, I guess, just because as much as I've been critical of McDonough here, this the Morris Twins is sort of the one exception to the rule where I really don't blame him because they were ridiculous, classless players. They were stupid in their dealings. I mean, I don't think he owed them an explanation that their contract... Um, anyway, I think it was uh, Babby who negotiated the contract with them where they got to decide like how much money each of them was getting in their extension. Um, I don't think it should have had to have been made clear to them that that wasn't like that didn't mean that they could do anything and then not be separated. It's a privilege in the NBA to even get to play with your friends for extended period of time, let alone uh, be on the same team as your sibling. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, the communication was here's what here's what I think. If you worked with the Morris twins for the previous year or two years or however long they were on the team before this trade happened, then you should know how this trade was going to affect them. How do you not know after working with them, seeing them every week, that they're going to be absolutely furious and complain to the media about this? You had to have understood that that would happen. 
And that means that if you do understand that that would happen, you have to sort of make moves to try and avoid this being a drastic uh, a breakdown, a drastic uh, chemistry killer. Maybe trade both of them right away. And I understand that Markeith Morris is, was a valuable player and I actually think a really good, maybe the best player on the team at the time uh, during this season um, before, you know, everything sort of went to shit. But it's just, I think that more should have been done. But if you want to say a C minus or a D plus, I think that's uh, fair. Yeah, okay, let's go with a D plus. Okay, thank you. I appreciate you relenting there because it makes me so mad that that happened. The next move, though, is Brandon Knight. Five years, $70 million. He averaged about 35 games. I talked about this earlier. Played per season since his contract. 15 points, 3.7 assists, and 2.5 turnovers on 3.7 assists. And that's on 28 minutes a game. Advanced stance. Do not like him. He does not look good on most models, as you say. But I, this is not a great deal. This no, is not a great we're deal. We're still suffering for it. 3.7 assists to 2.5 turnovers. That right there should be enough evidence that this guy isn't really a point guard. So uh, Igor better make some drastic changes to his game or else he's he's a shooting guard in a point guard's body. What what Brandon Knight needs to do is embrace the Jamal Crawford role at this point. In his, it, that is, if this point guard thing that he's about to do doesn't work out, which I don't expect it to, I hope it does. But if it doesn't work out, he needs to embrace the Jamal Crawford role and be willing to be a... Or Lou Williams is another guy who's done it. Um, Stop thinking about being a point guard. You're not going to be a playmaker. You are who you are at this point in your career. Um, But just be a spark plug scorer off the bench and be willing to settle for that bench role and sort of recognize that you're probably not going to be the star player on a good team because he's just not efficient enough. He doesn't bring enough to both ends of the floor to play that sort of role. (laughs) Um... Man, I don't know. I don't want to be that hard on him in the case that he has a good year this season. I mean, but can he really make up for it? I'm kind of inclined to say a D. Does that is that weird? No, I, I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> I mean, we're, is there much <laughs> of a difference between I... a D and an F at this point? As we, geez, this GPA is not looking yeah. good, folks. I'll tell you that. Okay, let's move on. Let's skip over the Mirza Toledo. If it's one, it doesn't matter. Well, I think we should. I think that's a big enough uh, move that we'll just quickly grade it. Let's say a C, inconsequential. Yeah, yeah it actually boosts fair. the GPA at this point. So I'll give okay. McDonough that. One. <laughs> okay, Hornacek was fired uh, February first. It's difficult to judge firing a coach. There's so much involved in that. Uh, did it have to be done? Maybe it had to be done. Did Did he lose the players? Yeah, probably. I mean, when maybe your best player in Markeith Morris was just adamantly against you throughout the entire season, uh, maybe that's reason enough to, to fire him. Uh, he threw a towel in his face. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's hard. Um, firing him was probably the right move at the time. Whether or not he had to be fired because of the reasons, the moves that were made ahead of time that sort of led to that and how much of that is a responsibility of the general manager, that can be debated a little bit. But he did need to be fired, and I, I don't think it was a huge move either way. I think calling it a C or maybe even a B to give it a little, maybe uh, give him a little benefit of the doubt there is fair. Yeah, I, I have no qualms with that. Let's give him a B because we've been so negative. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. Uh, promoting Earl Watson, though, immediately afterwards. F. Here's the thing. Well, here's the thing. Yes, it's an F. Earl, uh, well, here actually, let's 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 be fair here. This move initially on February first 
was for the rest of the season, right? This yeah. was the interim coach. Well, I, I don't think we should grade this twice. I think we should evaluate yes. it as one move, not as when he got yeah. promoted and when he got extended. So together, you want to grade him together? Yeah, I want to just grade Earl Watson as one entity. I don't really oh, think... Oh, then it's an F. Okay, <laughs> let's just move on then. It's an F. Okay, okay, so the next move was Marquise Morris being traded. Now, Marquise Morris was... I'm serious when I say Marquise Morris was one maybe our best player this season. Uh, I still remember him playing. motherfucker. Do you people remember He was that? very good He was one clutch. of the best mid-range Yeah, he scores. had 30 points against the Cavs. We beat the Cavs with LeBron. Yeah, he was kind of awesome in, in like late game situations. Just give the ball to Keith in the post, have him ISO, and he's surprisingly good in the mid range. He was money, just a dick. He's still doing it. Yeah, he's not yes, as he's not, not a great person good now. And and you see where it's gotten the Wizards too, building right, around the right. front court of Morris and Gortat, both former Suns products. But so well, Gortat's Gortat's gone, now, gone but, but uh, I mean the past few years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Chris Humphreys, Dewan Blair, neither of them really played for the Suns. I mean, Chris Humphreys played a few games, and I still remember vividly a Suns fan yelling Chris Kardashian at him every game. Uh, and that pick turned into Georges Papianis, who is no longer in the NBA already. I mean, this is not a great trade either. No, but it's I I, <laughs> I will argue this one with you because I'm sympathetic. It's not about, I'm sympathetic. It's not about Papianis. First of all, that wasn't our pick. That was a pick made for the Kings. And right. Vladi Divac is an idiot. We know that. Yes. But the pure value here, this was good, actually, because this was the first time we needed something to cleanse the palate, to reboot the culture and finally embrace the tank. And you said yourself, this second half of this season, 15-16, is when we finally embraced the tank. And we needed to get rid of Markeith Morris, who was a locker room cancer. Um, it was another Dragic situation. We were backed into a corner. Everyone was saying we had no leverage. And we still got a first-round pick that ended up being 13th overall. Albeit that draft class sucked. And Papa Giannis wasn't good. But we could have taken a decent player 13th overall had we kept the pick. Which, trust me, we're going to talk about later um, in, in a few minutes. So overall, I would actually give this like a B. I, I rate it similarly to the Dragic trade because I think it's good value for where okay. we were. I think it's fair to say that this is the this and the Earl Watson uh, sort of promotion, if you will, are sort of the first moves that gave us actual real direction. I think that's a fair thing to say. Uh, it, but in a vacuum, not a great trade. So I want to factor both of those things in here because Markeith Morris was good. Um, and right, maybe we would have picked somebody better than... I'm sure we would have picked somebody better than Georges Papianis with that pick. So that's fair to say as well. So let's say a B for that move. And we'll call it on that season. Now, one thing actually I do say is uh, because we started tanking after this, what happens when you start tanking is you start taking flyers on players that maybe are on the fringes of the NBA. And the first player that that happened with in the Suns was Alan Williams. He was signed to a 10-day contract. And then eventually, by, by the end of the season, or a few weeks later, actually, he was signed to a three-year, $17 million non-guaranteed. It was sort of... Uh, they were team options at the end of every year, a really good contract for Allen Williams. And I think if we just sort of look at the Allen Williams moves as one move, uh, obviously not a difference maker. He's not a star, but he brought up, here's the thing after Markeith Morris, we needed someone that could sort of bring some sort of chemistry back into the fold in Phoenix and maybe bring some positivity back. And for a guy that's a towel waiver played some minutes, a great rebounder. Of course he got injured recently that's a pretty good move, and I would give that maybe a C plus, B minus. I, I'm prepared to give it a B. 
I don't know if that's being too nice. I, I guess he's not enough of a difference maker, right? Yeah. So I'll probably I'll walk that back a little bit. You want to settle on a B minus? Yeah, I think that's a fair. I love Alan Williams, so I, I yeah, I, it's kind of we're notice how we're being nicer to players like Alan Williams and PJ Tucker who aren't necessarily the biggest contributors. Tucker more so than than Williams, but they just hustle hard and and they gave us culture in this series of seasons where it was hard to be a Suns fan. Before we move on. I want to just just set the stage again. When people defend Ryan McDonough, and I think my opinion is sort of being solidified here on how I feel about him up to this point, but when people defend Ryan McDonough, a big thing of what they say is, we finally have direction. He sold Robert Sarver on tanking. We finally got the ability to get star players by drafting really high draft picks. But keep in mind, he started in the 13-14 season, and it wasn't half until halfway through the 15-16 season that we really started making moves to tank. So there was sort of two directionless seasons where he was accidentally good and then on purpose good, which ended up being bad, and then <laughs> trying to sign LaMarcus Aldridge to, to put a Band-Aid over how bad the previous year ended up, instead signing an old Tyson Chandler to a long contract and Brandon Knight to a terrible contract, which ended up being bad enough that he had to throw it all out and start tanking. So that direction never really came into focus until this disaster season, maybe one of the most frustrating in, in Suns history. So what I should say though, is the moves made after this are now through that lens. You have to take into account that we are now in the timeline, if you will, we're, the, we're starting the timeline, the process, the like, process, the timeline. Exactly. This is this is where it begins. So let's talk about the sixteen seventeen season. Not a lot of moves in this season, but some I'm some glad, interesting uh, ones that we're doing this actually, but just because the we're already over an hour into it, but just you get a different feel. Uh, you talked about your opinion solidifying. Just talking this through, every Suns fan out there has some sort of controversial opinion, probably about Ryan McDonough or strong feelings about him one way or the other, and you just get some satisfaction about talking this out in a long conversation that you don't get just from arguing with people. Um, in written form over the internet. So I'm having a lot of fun with this one. Let's talk about the 2016-17 season. Um, We already talked about Earl Watson. We already gave it an F. Do we have to say anything else there? Oh, God, except for how frustrating it was to watch him on the sidelines. Layup lines. good God. They're doing layup lines in practice. They're doing yoga. He's destroying basketball, the integrity of the sport. All right, the next real move. Ugh. Drafting Dragon Bender fourth overall. Mm-hmm. In case you didn't know, Dragon Bender is a career thirty-eight percent shooter. Um, he has a career seven point one player efficiency rating. He has negative win shares for his career, a negative value over replacement player. Um, and you know we've talked about Bender before. I don't think we have to go into what he, you know what he is as a player if you're listening right to this. now. Um, so yeah, yeah, right now, and he still has the potential guys. to develop. Yeah, he still has the potential to develop into more. I think the most important thing here is to look at the guys who went immediately after him. So in between where we picked Bender and Chris, uh, you had Chris Dunn, who went fifth, Buddy Heald, sixth, and Jamal Murray, seventh. And that sort of right there shows how much that draft class kind of sucked. Because in there, I see three players who at the end of the day, I kind of do think all three of them are going to be better than Dragon Bender. So that reflects in how we're going to evaluate this. But it's another draft class sort of similar to 2013 when we started this discussion off with Alex Len. Um, there wasn't an obvious all-star for us to pick in there. I think Jamal Murray is going to be really good. But Chris Dunn, Buddy Heald, first of all, we were targeting big men. Um, it's just sort of unfortunate that Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris were considered the two consensus best big men in this draft class, knowing what they are now. Mm-hmm. 
I think I might surprise you here. Through the lens of a tanking team, picking oh, no. someone that's an obvious project player, uh, someone who's clearly going to take a lot of time, and based on the draft, how we felt at the draft at the time, I don't look how I feel about Dragon Bender as a player right now. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith that he's going to be a valuable NBA player in the long term. And that's fair to say right now. But looking at it where we were at the time, he was one of the highest touted draft picks. Some people even talked about him as the number two pick potentially. And we thought it was kind of a steal at the fourth pick at the time. People were really looking forward to it. He was sort of touted as a clear project player, but someone who's played professionally for years and has the potential to bring all these different skill sets to the NBA. Now, I don't think it was a great pick. Now, I'm not going to say it was, although I'm not sure I buy into Buddy Hield, Chris Dunn, or I mean, Jamal Murray I do like, but I'm not sure I buy into the rest of them. I'm going to give it a B minus C plus. Wow. One of those two. Okay, so this is good because we haven't been disagreeing a lot. We've sort of made each other compromise. I really feel a D on this one. Um, I don't know. I mean, I get your argument about projects when you're tanking. It's interesting to have projects. I like the general strategy of what we did in that draft. Of I didn't think it mattered that we took two guys who were both projects at the same position because the thinking was one of them would work out, right? Um, and it, it just has so hilariously almost backfired on us to this point. And the, both of the, we're in that section now where we're talking about recent enough history that things are fluid. They can always change. And hopefully one of these two guys comes back with a kick-ass, uh, junior or sorry, third year, uh, in the NBA. But yeah, I'm feeling a D on this. You're feeling what again? Uh, uh let's say a C minus is a compromise. I think it's fair. Okay, so yeah, C minus, I guess I can feel that. I mean, I don't know. I think, look, I think at the end of the day, if you asked us to do this in another 12 months and Bender is even more officially cemented as a bust, then we're not talking about a C minus anymore. But for now, um, I'll, I'll compromise on this one. We'll go with a C minus. This is an active draft. Next one. <laughs> Trading Bogdan Bogdanovich, the 13th pick, the 28th pick, and a second rounder to move up for Marquise Chris, who we selected eighth. And the 13th pick was used on Papa Giannis. The 28th pick was used on Lebissier. Um, the second rounder is in 2020. It hasn't been used on anyone yet. But I think basically all I, ha- all I have to say, and then I'll let you say your piece on this one, is this. Scal Lebissier, who was taken 28th in that draft class alone, has arguably outplayed Marquise Chris to this point in their career. And that's all you have to say. I mean, the 28th pick has outplayed the 8th pick. And on top of that, we gave up a late lottery pick and Bogdan Bogdanovich and a second rounder. It's it's ridiculous. In hindsight, I mean, I don't think it was a bad trade at the time, but we're, we're not, we can't only view things as they were at the time. We have to, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, start evaluating these more objectively now. And we can say it was a bad trade. This wasn't a great draft in general either. It sucks that when we had two high picks, of course, in, in recent timeline history, uh, they've been terrible drafts. But I will say this as well. I'd rather have Bogdan Bogdanovich and Scalabissier right now than Dragon Bender and Marquise and, and it Chris. It wouldn't even just be those guys. I mean, Papianis sucked. But there were other guys that we could have taken. A guy like Chris Levert as a wing is playing. You know, the, the late first round wasn't great. But a guy like Chris Levert uh, is one of the standout names to me. He was taken 20th. Um, by Indiana is having a pretty good career so far. Think about a situation right now where the Suns have solid role players in Scalabissier, Chris Levert, and um, and Bogdan Bogdanovich instead of just Marquise Chris. I mean, that's probably an extra five to ten wins that we're we're getting next season. 
just with those role players who are solid all around. Yeah, or how about how about Jamal how about Jamal Murray or, instead yeah, of Dragon Bender? You, well, the ideal uh, draft, the mm-hmm. ideal draft, you take forget Bender and forget Chris. Uh, you add Jamal Murray, Chris Levert, and um, who else did we just say? Bogdan, Scalabissier, Bogdan Bogdanovich is still guys, a player. A, but you can't think like that because that's like really the best best case scenario. I mean, things never really work out like that for teams, but just the tantalizing prospect of a roster like that. We could have a Jamal Murray, Devin Booker backcourt right now with all of those good role players around them and still probably have our Josh Jackson, uh, maybe even DeAndre Ayton, you never know, because those prospects coming in weren't going to make such a big impact as rookies because rookies typically don't contribute to winning that much. We still would have had our top picks. Maybe not the DeAndre Ayton top pick. I don't know. That's more suspect. But we Mm -hmm. still would have been picking around fourth or fifth the next year, regardless of how those rookies play. Um, and still would have been in position to probably take a guy like Josh Jackson again. Now, having trashed that trade like we just did now, I, <laughs> you'll be surprised to hear that. I don't think it was the worst move either. I think that Chris has a lot of potential still. These guys haven't had a good coach yet. It's fair to say that they, they, were, they were playing under our, our most obvious F, they, literally on the scale. There's a picture or a scale of A to F. There's a picture of Earl Watson next <laughs> to the F. So it's fair to say that we don't really know how this is going to turn out yet. And I actually think that both players still have potential. And I think that Chris's potential is probably higher than dragon benders at this point, especially considering that's the type of player. I think someone like Marquise Chris, that's so raw. He needs a really good coach to try and access or, or really tap that potential. So I don't think it's the worst trade. I don't want to give it an F. I don't even want to give it a D I'd probably settle around a solid C or could even be convinced even, uh, you know, well, C plus maybe. What? But see, like, <laughs> and I'm sorry, but a C plus is an ad, like that move improved us somehow, right? If a C is inconsequential, then a C plus positively benefited us in some way. And there's uh, you just I like Marquise, but I can't look at that move. I can't look at those names and think about the possibility of us yeah. having Bogdanovich and Lebissier and another prospect 13th, regardless of if it was Papianis or Levert or some other random name in between. I just don't see many situations in which Chris can still improve his career enough to turn out as uh, better than the sum of the parts of everything that we sent out to Sacramento. Which is why I'd probably settle for a C- minus here yeah. again. Yeah, that's a fair argument. Let's do it. C minus is fair. I think it's here's the thing is these players can still turn out to be uh, good NBA players. And I, I think that I sort of sell, I'm selling mm. myself high on the potential here. Okay. I think that's part of it. Next one, drafting Tyler Eulis, 34th overall. Um, and Eulis uh, is now off the Suns. He made 58 starts in his tenure with us. He averaged 7.6 points and 4.1 assists in about 21 minutes per game on 40% shooting from the field for his career, which for a point guard is ugly. Um, but yeah, we know what Tyler Ulis is. Th- this is one of those ones where, unfortunately, it didn't work out. It was exciting no. to watch Tyler Ulis for a little while. And for a second rounder, I really don't expect much anyway. So I'd kind of factor right. this in as inconsequential. Same. C. Yeah. Let's call it a C. Easy C. And that's a fair grade for that. It's it's difficult to hit on anything higher than a C at that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same way I'll feel about Elia Kobo, quite frankly. I'm not going to pan Elia Kobo if he doesn't turn out. It's more like a cherry on top type of situation. Right, exactly. Um, next one. Okay, so this is an important one to view, I think, as you were talking about in the lens of tanking. Signing Jared Dudley to a two-year deal. This happened on July 8th, 2016. It was a three-year deal. Um, excuse me, now that I think about it. 
Um, and he has averaged 56 mm-hmm. games played for us. He's really stepped back and taken a role where it's not even been because he's been injured. He's just hasn't played that much because we're playing the young guys instead. So I don't know. How do you, yeah. how do you view Dudley in his second well, stint? I have a Jared Dudley jersey, it should be said. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Jared Dudley from his time on the uh, Steve Nash teams. And what I liked about this move more than the Tyson Chandler, I like this move more than the Tyson Chandler move. One, I think it's good that he's a veteran that will not complain about not getting minutes. I think he's he's sort of accepted that he's sort of a, a veteran player slash assistant coach. And what I like is that he talks up Phoenix. He says good things about the city. He says good things about the fans. And he's willing to sort of say, when we're good in Phoenix, this crowd comes alive. And to have somebody like that that's sort of out there carrying the sword and shield for the city of Phoenix to these young guys and saying it's worth it. Once we get there, it will be worth it. I think that's a valuable piece to have. Uh, He's not a difference maker, uh, but like I said, the cap space and a tanking team, it's not valuable anyway. We're not going to replace him with a great player if all of a sudden he's gone. So it's not like it's eating up this cap space that keeps us from signing Anthony Davis in a year or something like that. It's just not. So that's, that type of thing is not happening. Uh, so I, I think it's actually a pretty good move. Um, now, of course, you can't give it an A because he hasn't barely played. But I don't want to give it a C either. I think it's better than that. I think it matters to have this type of player on a tanking team to try and keep the spirits up. So I would say maybe a B. A B. That's okay. Interesting. (laughs) I'm sorry. I feel like we're getting... This is why it kind of would have been interesting if we both just made our own grades the entire time and seen which one of us is officially more pessimistic. I think it's me coming out on top right now pretty easily, uh, which I didn't even think would be the case coming into this. I thought you were the bigger uh, McDonough hater. Well, you'll see that my grades changed pretty drastically after we started tanking. Yeah, I think through that lens... Through that lens, a lot of these moves just make a lot of sense. They just make sense. A lot of the moves before that made absolutely no sense. You saw how fired up I got in the you know, 15-16 season and 14-15 and season. But a lot of these moves, they just make more sense. Even the Dragon Bender move. We, for just, the we, we gave up at this point. We stopped caring. We were just like, we're not going to win anyway. Just throw it. You, know, you, can't, you can't hurt me any more than you already have. Right. So just throw whatever other crap you got at me, and I guess Jerry Dudley counts as that. I'll I'll give in to your B. How about that? Yeah, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference on the GPA at this point. Yeah, well, we've this is the twenty eighth move we've evaluated by my count. So at this point, you know, it's a, it's a lot uh, of stuff. So no, nothing is making as much of an impact anymore. We'll get into the last move to evaluate from that season. We traded. P.J. Tucker for Jared Sullinger, a 2017 second-round pick that we used on Alec Peters, and a 2018 second-round pick that we just used on George King to the Raptors. What do you have to say about this one? I think that it's a push, so I think giving it a C is sort of fair. I think it's fair to do that for P.J. Tucker's sake. He played so hard, and we were just losing, losing, and losing. And we it's, it's a good thing that we did for him uh, as far as getting him to a, a situation where he could be uh, pretty good of course it was toronto so uh, they did all right with him to me i've i said it on one of our first podcasts i still think pj tucker should have been getting minutes uh over abaca on that team and they would have been much better had he played more but now we can see him in houston it eventually led him to these winning situations so it was good for him but it's inconsequential for us on both sides so a c doesn't hurt us doesn't help us yep that makes sense all right one more season 
<laughs> we're not going to really cover the 2018 season being that this is already going kind of long and it's not fair to sort of judge it anyway. Yeah. So maybe at the end of the season, we can come back uh, and, and uh, review that a little bit. I do want to talk a little bit about what the 28 season, 18 season means uh, after we go over the 17, 18 season, I'm going to go over each one of these individually. Now, that last season, the 16-17 season, was a disaster in that we won absolutely no games. So we ended up with the fourth pick. Now, I don't blame McDonough for us not winning the lottery, but it would have been nice to win the lottery in this draft, that's for sure. <laughs> you can't give him an uh, F for the ping pong balls not falling our way. Yeah, exactly. So Josh Jackson was selected with the fourth pick. Uh, selected after him, De'Aaron Fox, Jonathan Isaac, Laurie Markinen. Donovan Mitchell is the main yeah. one, but nobody, I think, really predicted that Donovan Mitchell was going to be what he is. I think this is a really good yeah. pick. I think picking Josh Jackson fourth. The only real players that I would have wanted above him were actually all three players that were picked above him, but Markel Fultz doesn't seem like... I mean, I, if I had to make a bet on who is going to be the better long-lasting player, I would still bet on Josh Jackson at this point. But Jason Tatum and Lonzo Ball have a lot of potential. Uh, obviously, we had no opportunity to pick those guys, so you can't judge uh, McDonough for not selecting them. So Josh Jackson, I'd say a solid B+. Plus. You know, I, I would agree with you. Um, it's Again, you can't think this way, but looking at Laurie Markkinen as a, as a name on there, who I don't think has the highest potential, but put together a good rookie season for sure. There was no chance that we were going to select a third power forward because we hadn't given up on Dragon Bender or Marquise Chris yet. But I think it would have been interesting if the season before we drafted Jamal Murray instead of Dragon Bender fourth. And then that sort of put us in position to maybe look at another power forward this season um, that we're talking about now and take a guy like Markinen instead of Jackson, who I would think is necessarily going to be better than Jackson. Um, but I look at a three, a core to build around of, of like Jamal Murray, Devin Booker, uh, Laurie Markinen along with TJ Warren, who would have still been at small forward, that that would have been really interesting to me if we had watched a team like that for the past season. Would have been pretty bad defensively. But um, but yeah, with, with Josh, I'm a little scared after his summer league performance, but I know that's just the paranoia talking, so I'm more than happy to give him a B plus. I, I was really rooting for him. Uh, at, he seems like a very hard worker, and I think he has a bright future ahead of him. I agree with that. So there's a couple of moves here that happened that I just want to remind us of. We don't have to grade these, but we did sign Mike James to a two-way contract. A kind plus. of funny. Mike James. Uh, another thing is Anthony Bennett was on the team in preseason. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the actual move that I think we have to grade because it's just such a good trade is we traded a second-round draft pick that never conveyed to the Memphis Grizzlies for Troy Daniels. And Troy Daniels, Daniels he could be a player that plays this coming season, assuming we keep him, we may not. We, we may but not. the fact that that pick never never even conveyed, I mean, that's a pretty good trade. Now, Troy Daniels, these are all on a tanking team, right? But it is still nice for uh, Devin Booker, a player like Devin Booker in a developing season to play with a player that can spread the floor, gives him the opportunity to handle the ball a little more. Some of the best lineups we had were Troy Daniels, uh, Devin Booker lineups. So I think it's a relatively good trade. It's hard to judge something like this um any higher than maybe like a c plus or a b minus at the very very peak because of how inconsequential it is really in the long run but the fact that you kind of got a player for free that other other teams could have gotten that is sort of a good piece to help a developing yeah i'd go it's not the worst i'd go with the c plus just to echo what you're saying it it was a good move um but given the possibility that we don't even have troy daniels on the roster this upcoming season depending on situations uh decisions that still have to be made i'd say that's fair yeah. c plus all right next big one 
TJ Warren signed to a four-year, $50 million contract. Uh, relatively fair market value. It's really, TJ Warren is a hard player. Obviously, we've talked a lot about TJ Warren so far. Um, But I think what's hard about TJ Warren is he's the type of player that you have to see on a good team to really know how good he is. He's not, he hasn't been great at passing. He's good around the rim. He's kind of good at handling the ball. He's really fantastic in transition. He takes those long strides running down the court. Um, efficient, but not overly efficient because he's not a good three point shooter. Good at getting fouled because he's constantly moving towards the rim. Um, one of the prettiest floaters in the league. That contract is not an overpay, but it's not really a value either. I'd say it's fair on both sides. Um, C plus. No, I, I, I'm B, B feeling minus. a B on this one. Is that weird? I mean, I guess that's the second time I've asked. No, it's not, not weird. Is that uh, weird? I should have some weird. more conviction uh, in my answers. I'm feeling a B, Mike, and here's why. Okay. Okay. I don't know. So, everything, <laughs> I don't feel that strongly about this, but everything about TJ is just like pleasant. It's it's like I'm feeling a B because, you know, I think he first of all, I think it's valuable and people are talking about this with Marcus Smart right now. Actually, it's valuable to have guys in that mid tier contract level um, just for trading purposes. And I'm, I'm not saying before all of you people jump on me that the only good reason to sign TJ to the, that level of money was so that we could trade him for something else. Because I think Reddit and portions of Twitter, but mainly Reddit, are really high on TJ Warren right now. And they want to see him succeed in a Suns uniform, not elsewhere. Um, but I don't know. I thought it was pretty good market, market value. And even though we haven't seen him perform in a good team, like you were saying, I I just think it's a move that moves us in a positive direction. I don't really know if I have any sort of stronger opinion than that. Well, here's a counterpoint. Do you think that TJ Warren could be a good could be a starter on a winning team yeah i do then i think that's a fair rating i'll, I'll, I'll relent i'll relent on that one i'll allow it a b there <laughs> well do, do you uh, i don't think it's a terrible can? contract either you don't think he could be a starter on a good team is that i what think you're that saying? yeah i think that unless he fixes his shooting problem his ability to shoot from three i think it makes it difficult i think that you almost have to build a team around him if he's a starter on your team, which is not the type of player. I don't think he's good enough to, to, to be the type of player to build a team around. Um, a player like Josh Jackson, who also has similar shooting problems, can handle the ball, is able to sort of play make for others, and is a plus defensively or has the potential to be a plus defensively. TJ Warren, not a bad defender, but is not exactly a plus defensively, can't play make for others, only looks for his own shot, and can't spread the floor. I think those are big problems. Now, in his defense, since we brought this up about uh, Chris and Bender, hasn't exactly had a great coach. Uh, seeing TJ Warren under Igor Kokoshkov is going to be a really interesting experiment. I'm not completely out on TJ Warren, but I think that it's difficult to build a starting lineup with a player with his skill set unless he changes pretty drastically. I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with you. What was... Let's talk about a guy like Rudy Gay. Sorry to throw out a random name, but that's sort of the first name that comes to mind. No. The Grizzlies, when Rudy Gay was the first option on that team, I mean, he reminds me a lot of the type of player that TJ Warren is right now, and that was a good team. It wasn't a good enough team. If we're talking about building a contender, then I agree with you. TJ Warren's not going to be a focal point, but I think he could be a focal point of an offense, um, potentially with a little more development down the line, granted. 
uh, of a first round exit type team like a guy like Rudy Gay is I mean I'm trying to think of other names that I might compare him to right now Tobias Harris maybe and and certainly if we're just talking about him being a starting caliber player not even like one of the top starters but the worst starter on a good team I see no reason why he shouldn't be capable of that yeah well let's let's keep him at a B then and uh we'll see we'll see (laughs) I think that you're gonna hear me say that TJ Warren needs to learn how to shoot about a million times before this podcast ends but it'll never end next thing that happened well the season started uh, Earl Watson was fired after the most disastrous start in NBA history. And that is not an exaggeration. It was the most disastrous start in NBA history. We lost our first three games by a combined, I think it was 800,000 points. <laughs> that first night was so depressing to be, to be looking forward to the season and having the off season drag on for months. And then to just have that 50 point blowout loss. It was pathetic. Yeah. It was funny. I mean, I was just, I watched the whole thing. I watched the whole thing laughing in the second half because it was so ridiculous. It was so absurd. How can you not laugh at something that absurd? Um, As I sort of recognized the putrid situation that we were truly in at that point as a franchise. Not that we're that much better now, but that's where we were. Well, here's the thing about Earl Watson. Do we give McDonough credit for firing Earl Watson after he hired him no. in the first place? No, no, no. I think you need to mention that. I don't think we should grade this. I think you should mention yeah. it as as a thing that happened. Well, how about we grade this then? Promoting Jay Triano to interim coach. Yeah, I think we can grade that. I like Jay. Um, yeah, we I think that was a good move. C plus. We weren't going to get anyone yeah. midseason to come. I to think this. a C plus is exactly what I was thinking. And here's why. Jay Triano is an experienced head coach. Now, it, of course, he's not a winner, but we are a tanking team. We almost didn't want a winner, uh, but we did want someone that could bring a level of professionalism that this team was sorely lacking, and I do believe that he brought that. I really like the way he worked with the players. I like the way he communicated. I think he set the right example for a lot of the players, and I think he was a breath of fresh air uh, compared to the last few seasons. A C-plus is a fair grade for that. Now, whew, for the third time... A player asked to be traded under Ryan McDonough. Third time in three seasons. Eric Bledsoe tweeted, I don't want to be here. And then claimed that he was at the hair salon waiting for his wife, or at the time, fiance, I believe, uh, to get her hair cut. Uh, Bullshit. But Eric Bledsoe was traded to the Milwaukee Bucks for Greg Monroe, who played about half of a game here. And a uh, second-round draft pick and a first-round draft pick in 2019. Uh, Phoenix has not received that draft pick yet. Um, and then another draft pick in the future. So this this trade, it's hard to judge right now because Greg Monroe is the only moving piece that got back to the Suns, and he was bought out <laughs> after not a lot of games. Um, but this was a disaster as far as communication once again. Uh it's another time where McDonough did not properly prepare a player for the season or maybe, I mean, the entire off season before this, people talked about that Eric Bledsoe should be traded. And uh, a lot of people were talking about that Earl Watson should not be the coach. These two things should have been done before the season began. Yeah, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, and Maybe Eric Bledsoe was going to buy into this and somehow be some uh, point guard really fighting uh, to, to, 
play as good as possible on a tanking team, but there's nothing really that came before this that led me to believe that Eric Bledsoe would be that type of player. So I have no reason to believe that that would have happened. So it's a tough one to grade. How do you Look, feel about it? Look, we sat Eric Bledsoe the last 15 games of the season, the season prior. So I could understand why maybe he w- wasn't particularly happy with Phoenix. I just, But on his end, too, it was so unprofessional. I mean, I remember watching the Media Day interviews going into that season. It was fine. They were pulling him aside for interviews. He was talking about how he was looking forward to uh, working with the, the young cats. Uh, everything just seemed to be normal. It came out of left field. It really did. So that's why it was so confusing to me. I mean, I'm not quite sure other than not have been tanking so blatantly and sitting Bledsoe the season prior. I'm not sure what McDonough could have done differently in terms of communication this time around. I mean, it was just an unprofessional display on Bledsoe's part to air out his dirty laundry over Twitter. That's fair. That's fair. And maybe it was entirely Rich Paul related. Guess how many Rich Paul players the Phoenix Suns have on the team right now? Zero. Zero. Yeah. Yeah, Zero. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're going to get any uh, anytime soon. And you know who was... um, you know who, what coach that the Suns supposedly interviewed was a Rich Paul client? Ooh, let me guess. Mike Woodson? Dave Fisdale. Oh, Dave Fisdale. That's that's even better. Yeah. I was just yeah. I'm still wondering what happened with Woodson. Yeah, that's a weird story. Whatever. For another time. Yeah, though. let's move on. Let's grade this trade. Now, I think you may I think you brought up a fair point that this a lot of this is on Eric Blitzo. I do think that's fair. And I I, I do wonder emotionally um, maybe ego related. This was the first season where you could say that Devin Booker was the clear star of the team now. And and it was clear from the beginning. This team was now Devin Booker's. And I don't know how much Eric Bledsoe actually liked that. I think that uh, he was kind of sold this bill of goods that it's now his team after we traded every other point guard on the roster. And it was now his turn. And it was clear from the beginning that that wasn't going to be the case. Now, it should be said that part of the reason we lost those first three games by so much is because Eric Bledsoe was a joke in all three of those games and literally was sent home like a child because he couldn't even play professionally at all. No surprise that he got worked in the playoffs by me here. Um, I'm glad he's gone. (laughs) I'll be honest. And I don't think that trade is the worst. I mean, some of the best draft picks that Ryan McDonough has ever made is sort of between the uh, well the 13th and 15th pick uh, <laughs> the very narrow range so the fact that's that, the sweet spot for mcdonough right, yeah. uh, as long as it's between the 13th and 15th pick it works every time mm-hmm. we're gonna get a star so if this happens to fall between those picks i think that we can actually get a player of value maybe even more valuable than eric bledsoe at this point because he's such a problem uh so i don't want to grade this too harshly but i don't think it's that great either just because it had to happen so i don't know do you have a grade no, I was kind of waiting for you to throw out one because I'm not, I'm conflicted here. This felt like it's the hard. first time because we talked about how McDonough did a good job handling situations where he didn't have any leverage in Dragic and Morris. And then this is sort of the first time where he didn't do such a good job with that. I, I was really hoping for a little bit more value than what we got at the time. Can't really give a definitive grade without seeing the prospects that's going to result from that Milwaukee pick, though. So I don't know, a C. What do you think? Well, I mean, the fact is we traded a best player uh, by far. I think he was very clearly our best player at the time. And we got picks and a player that never came. And we weren't even able to get Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon would have been a nice piece on this team, a perfect starting point guard on this team right now. So, I mean, C-minus? Yeah, okay, let's go to C-minus.
again, these are kind of harder. These are harder to grade because we don't know all the final details yet. Yeah, th- exactly. And actually, that's that's the point I want to get into. Before we move on, I'm just going to go over a brief discussion about the 2018 offseason. I'm not going to go over each move. We've already done that in great detail in our last podcast. If this is your first, please go back and listen. I promise they're good. Uh, but I just want to go over this list we made of the 10-day contracts <laughs> that we signed over the course of McDonough's tenure. Seth Curry, A.J. Price, Jarrell McNeil, Lorenzo Brown, Jordan McRae, Phil Pressey, Ronnie Price, Mike James, Isaiah Cannon, Josh Gray, and finally a good one, Shaquille Harrison. Yikes. Yikes. Here's the thing. Now, just to just to wrap up here, in conclusion, a lot of the last two and a half years of Ryan McDonough's tenure is based on what happens in this 2018 offseason. Once you start tanking, that means that your entire goal is high draft picks. DeAndre Ayton, this is why there's so much pressure on DeAndre Ayton. He finally took some time to hire an actual coach. There's a lot of pressure on Igor Kukoshkov. And, of course, the Miles Bridges trade. We talked about the picks that ended up uh, resulting in that trade. Um, even signing Trevor Reza, of course, the Devin Booker and Max extension. All of these matter when judging uh um, Ryan McDonough. So the GPA that we're about to reveal, uh, it's not final. It's sort of, uh, let's just say uh, his first two years he was in college, he was kind of uh, dicking around and partying a little too much, maybe on Mill a little too much, which is the party street here in Tempe, if you don't know, Sam. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, he's in his senior year now, maybe his fifth year. His, he's a super senior, and he's trying to raise his GPA at the very last minute here. And it's very possible that a lot of these things that he did in the 2018 offseason will sort of wipe away all the troubles that came before. But the purpose of this podcast was to go through each thing granularly so that we're not just talking about from this massive scale of how we feel about Ryan McDonough. We can actually figure out whether or not he's good or the moves he's made have been good based on each individual move. And I think that's the only real fair way to look at what a general manager has done. So without further ado, Sam, I'm going to toss it over to you and let us know what that GPA is. The final GPA, our assessment of Ryan McDonough to this point in his tenure as Phoenix Suns general manager is a 2.15. Wow. 2.15. So just above a C, somewhere in between a C and a C plus on average. That's better than I thought, actually. (laughs) That means on average he was inconsequential. We were maybe too nice to him, actually. Well, you know, I actually think that's kind of fair because once you start of judging things through the tanking lens, uh, I don't think that tanking is a bad way to build a team in the in the way that the NBA rules are set up. So you kind of had to do what he had to had to do what you have to do to, to build based on the current system. And the idea of sort of building sort of a middle of the road mid tier team to try and go up against the Warriors uh, or the Rockets it doesn't make any sense. So. A C average, a middle, an okay student. Maybe maybe he can bring it up to a 2.5 or higher after this 2018 offseason. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, he's barely going to graduate right now, so he, he has to make sure he doesn't fail any of his <laughs> last classes if he wants to graduate on time. But C's get degrees, and mm-hmm. Ryan, you're probably going to graduate. Um, let's see if you get another contract extension. You need to really prove it in these next couple of years. All right, I'm going to make a commitment right now that Sam and I will be back at the end of the 2018 season and we'll give even at this point maybe still two early grades for the 2018 offseason we'll average those out 
with the 2.15 that he has right now. And we'll find out the definitive Ryan McDonough grade. And then uh, we'll see if he's around after that. Who knows what will happen by the end of this season. Yeah, we'll certainly see. I guess, do you, uh, should we have any other final words before we finish this one off? I think what I would say is, um, we sort of echoed this sentiment earlier, but for those of you who think that McDonough came in and immediately had a vision for the Suns, I think that's not the case. Um, and I think we've shown it today, and I think a lot of the problems with him have, have resulted from him making mistakes in terms of trying to find out what path to steer the Suns on. He really struggled with that for the first couple of years. Um, some of it is excusable due to the fact that he was one of the youngest GMs in, in the league, if not maybe even the youngest GM when he came with the Suns. And again, I've never doubted McDonough's intelligence. He's not a guy like, I'm, I'm not a Kings fan dealing with their front office brass, worrying about who my team is going to draft every year and about the trades that we're going to make and just generally believing that the front office is entirely incompetent. I, I do believe that McDonough is incompetent, that he has, or sorry, that McDonough is competent, that he has the right skills in his arsenal to build a good team here. But I think where it's gotten a little bit tricky and where we've sort of veered off on the wrong path a few times is dealing with that human element, as Mike, you were talking a lot about earlier. And uh, how can you communicate better with your players in terms of uh, making clear your plans to them? in a safe way for you also as the front office so that, you know, you're not revealing too much. You're not giving too much influence to your players. You don't want Devin Booker to be your GM, but you do need to build a certain amount of rapport and trust with your players because right now I think there's still a negative reputation that our front office has that they have to recover from uh, in the next few years. Here's what I'll say. How many other general managers do you have to talk about their lack of communication to their own players. I think it's a little overblown in the sense that we focus on so much little crap that, that have like, we may not even hear about some of the stuff that happens with other teams. It's like a blimp on our rate. Well, that's, that's part of the point. I think that's part of the point is that the fact that you don't even hear about it from other teams. I don't know. I've, I've pretty much hear about everything that happens in the NBA because I'm obsessive and I just don't hear about that type of thing often with any other team but the Suns. So here's what I think. I think that Ryan McDonough is smart when it comes to basketball and I think that if he had just started tanking when we initially wanted to tank from the beginning, maybe we'd have Ben Simmons on the team right now. Uh, and I think that if he maybe it's partially related to Robert Sarver. That's the difficulty of talking about these types of things is we don't know the minutia or the details of everything that happens. Uh, but if he had done that since the beginning, I think that we'd be talking about him through a different light. The fact that there was these ups and downs at the beginning is really the type of thing that affected his reputation in my mind. But the fact that we had three consecutive years where three separate players asked to be traded off the team is not a good look, and it's hurt the Suns' reputation in the long run, and I think that's partially related, and if not, maybe even fully related to Ryan McDonough himself. So that's that's basically how I feel. But I do have a lot of hope for the team going forward. I know this, this episode kind of went a little negative, but these are the last few years of the Suns. They were, they were hard years, and this is the honest truth about what we went through. So... Um, I don't really have much more to say than that. I think that we kind of got into it pretty pretty good here. For those of you who stayed around to the very end, thank you so much. I th- actually think that this is going to be a really good podcast for Phoenix Suns fans. Maybe every Phoenix Suns fan should listen to this one really going forward. Yeah, the beauty of this one, we're going to get, in case you guys are looking at this and wondering about the timing of why we're doing this right now, we're going to get back into the actual Suns news and stuff uh, immediately next week. We're going to jump back into it. It's just 
now we've kind of gotten into that portion of the off season where things have quieted down a little bit. And this is really a bit more of a, uh, an evergreen type of episode where you can talk about McDonough at any time. And Suns fans have strong opinions on Ryan McDonough. So we really felt it was important for us to kind of air our opinions out there early on in uh, the history of this podcast. All right. Well, I just want to say thank you, everyone, for listening to the Timeline Podcast. Don't forget to follow us uh, on Twitter. Uh, check out us uh, our posts on Reddit. we got a lot of interesting, interesting things going on right now. Uh, and thank you for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.